Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of First Nighter called The Mind Reader. It first aired on January 22nd, 1948. Campana's First Nighter program. From the Little Theater off Times Square. Starring Barbara Luddy and Olin Soule, with an all-star cast presented by Campana, the quality name in cosmetics. Theater Time, and another new play is scheduled for its premiere performance on the stage of the Little Theater off Times Square. Yes, this is a big night on the Great White Way. Outside the theater, there'll be a crowd of sightseers watching the arrival of the celebrities who always attend an opening night. So, let's be there on time. Here's our host for the evening, the genial first-nighter. Good evening, everybody. From advance reports, I understand that this will be a really gala first-night affair. I suggest that we start right away for the theater. Here's my cab. Won't you step in? All right, driver, we're off. Up Broadway and across 42nd Street. Here is the theater center of the world, the dream and aspiration of every playwright, every actor, every actress. And now, right ahead of us, is the little theater off Times Square. Well, here we are. Out there, mister. You're in front of that newsreel. Oh, my gracious. I think I see Carrie Grant. Well, as I live and breathe, isn't that the governor? Have your tickets ready, please. Have your tickets ready, please. Good evening, Mr. First Nighter. The usher will show you to your seats. Thank you. We'll go right in. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Quickly ushered into our down front and center seats. And I know you'll want to look at the program with me. Tonight's play, I see, is entitled Mind Reader. A new three-act drama by Floyd Miller. The play co-stars Barbara Luddy and Olin Soule, which in itself promises a most enjoyable evening. Miss Luddy is to play the role of Lynn Brooks, a Boston society belle. Mr. Soule is cast as Joe Madison, better known as Professor Zorro, the mind reader with the carnival. And true to form, here's a superb all-star supporting cast, including Joan Banks as Miss Mason, Lynn's secretary, Luke Krugman as Al, a carnival barker, Reese Taylor as Norman Richter, a somewhat snobbish Bostonian, and other famous names. But there's just time before First Curtain to listen a moment to Frank Worth and the famous First Nighter Orchestra. Curtain! First Curtain! There's the signal for First Curtain, the house lights are out, and here's the play. Fear. We're all afraid of something. Insecurity, ill health, jealousy. You soon learn that when you're in my racket. I'm a mind reader in a carnival, and I try to find out what the people are afraid of and then sell it back to them. Only, I give them the reverse side of the coin. Health, wealth, love. What do you want? I'll promise it to you. He's in tune with the infinite, and he gives you answers to your most perplexing problems. He reads your thoughts like most men read a book. Professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Hurry, 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 hurry. 
Boston is a lousy carnival town, and I played the half-empty tents all week. But then on Thursday, a girl wandered into my tent and stood there looking up at me with a half-smile. She was lovely, poised, quietly but expensively dressed. Her cool beauty kept interfering with my concentration, so I decided to go to work on her. I signaled to my assistant. He walked over and shoved a paper and pencil in her hand so she could write down a thought. At first she refused, but finally laughed and scribbled down a few words. My assistant looked at the words and then threw me the signal. Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? I get the impression that the lady is deeply troubled. Someone near her is the source of the trouble. It's not quite clear, but uh, I think it's a man. Yes, yes, it is a man. He says he loves her, but she's not certain. She fears he only pretends and that he really wants to marry her for her money. Am I correct? An expression of bewilderment, or was it fright, came over her face. The color drained from her cheeks, and for a moment I thought she might faint. And then she turned and ran from the tent. I called out, Wait, I want to talk to you. Come back, please. But she had gone out into the midway. I jumped down from the platform and ran after her. But suddenly I found my way barred by a lean, tight-faced woman with gimlet blue eyes. Will you stand aside, madam? You're trying to follow that girl. Okay, I'm following the girl. Now, if you'll Leave her alone. Your phony act has upset her enough already. Phony? You call the great Professor Zorro phony? Stand aside before I hypnotize you and use you for a tent stake. Hello. Well, don't be alarmed. I'm Professor Zorro. I saw how upset you were, and I wanted to be sure that you were okay. I'm all right, thank you. You, um... Think he wants to marry you for your money? How did you know? Ah, there are many occult forces at work if man but knows how to utilize them. An attunement with the infinite can wed the thoughts of two minds. Extrasensory perception... You're talking nonsense. No one can read minds. No? Then how did I know about your problem? Well, I I don't know. I, I can't understand. Don't be frightened. I can't really read your mind. But how... Back there in the tent, how... It's all a trick. Now, does that make you feel better? Yes, it does, but I, I still don't... My name's Joe Madison. What's yours? Lynn Brooks. I'm really a magazine writer. Only joined the carnival to collect material for a story. Do you like some cotton candy? You can't go to a carnival without eating cotton candy. All right. Hey, cheer up. You must have one friend left. I'm, I'm sorry. Lynn, whatever it is, could I help? Why should you want to help me? You never saw me before. Well, in this racket, you get to be a pretty good judge of people. Well? I, I don't know what to say. All right. Could you come to my house for dinner tomorrow night? I sure could. Here's my address. But, Joe, it, it might be dangerous for you. In this racket, you're never safe. I soon discovered that Lynn Brooks was Back Bay, Boston. She lived in an imposing house of weathered red brick and stiff-necked servants. I found her in the library, alone, looking small and frightened and very beautiful. Hello, Joe. I, I didn't think you'd come. I I wish you hadn't. I'm sorry I talked that way yesterday because there's nothing you can do. I was just tired and upset. Now, there's more to it than that. I'm not leaving. Oh, you're sweet. You remind me of a little boy who's going to fight the bully just so he can carry his girl's books home from school. 
But don't you see, Joe, there's no school bully here. There, there are nothing but shadows, my own foolish fears, and you can't fight those. Hush. Here come the others. Don't stand so close to me. Two people entered the library. First came a man, tall, handsome, sure of himself, even snobbish. His manner was suave and condescending, and I disliked him at once. Close behind him stalked the woman who had tried to stop me from following Lynn at the carnival. Well, Professor Zorro, this is a surprise. This is Professor Zorro, Mr. Norman Richter, Miss Mason, my secretary. Professor Zorro, where do you teach, Professor Harvard? Professor Zorro is a mind reader in a carnival. Well, how amusing. Tell me, Professor, what am I thinking? You're thinking that I'm a charlatan. <laughs> but of course. However, you're reading your conscience, not my mind. But you're also worried, for you're not certain that I have no power to read your thoughts. And you wouldn't like that. A safe generalization. All of us have thoughts we'd prefer to keep to ourselves. Yes, of course we have. Isn't that true, Lynn? What? Look, Professor, even our charming and innocent hostess blushes at the thought of complete revelation. <laughs> no, Professor, you'll have to do better than that. Be patient, Mr. Richter, and perhaps I will. Linda, this is no longer amusing. Hey, wait a minute. Joe, don't be angry. I'm not angry, but I've spotted that bully we've been looking for. May I carry your books if I take care of him? Here's a dollar for you, Professor. Now get out. There's no pay coming, brother. I'm here as a guest. Lynn, you didn't invite this. I did. I invited him for dinner. My dear Lynn, this sort of thing could start a scandal. Lynn, you know nothing of this person. He's probably a fortune hunter. Dismiss him at once. I demand it. You demand it. Who do you think you are? I am her fiancé. Oh, now I get it. Well, I guess I'll be going. Joe... It's okay, Lynn. It's better this way. But don't worry. Because school is going to keep for a good long time. I stalked out of the library and started for the entrance hall when I heard the voice of Norman Richter. Lynn, what possible reason could you find for picking up a, a buffoon like that? Darling, I've told you before, if any man tried to come between us, I'd stop at nothing. Not even murder. And now, let me switch the microphone for an exciting interview from backstage. Come in, Larry Keating. Yes, ladies, between the acts, I'm going to interview our lovely star, Barbara Luddy. And here she is. Hello, everyone. Barbara, have you personally tried our sponsor's new cream makeup, Magic Touch? Indeed, yes. Did you like it? I most certainly did, and I most certainly do. Beyond all doubt, Magic Touch is as magic as its name. Well, you know, the ladies tell me that it's really an entirely new and different kind of makeup. And that's the truth, Larry. Just why is it different? Well, first, because it's a wafer-thin cream makeup in a compact. So convenient. You don't need a powder puff, sponge, or water. Just your fingertips. And it goes on as smoothly as a silk glove, without being greasy. You mean it doesn't take a lot of special preparation and careful application to get it on your face? Look, Larry, it's as simple as this. See? You just stroke your fingers across the surface of the makeup, then you smooth it over your face. It's as simple as that. Is that the only difference about Magic Touch? Oh, my, no. The important difference is the flawless complexion loveliness that Magic Touch gives to any complexion. And Larry... Yes, Barbara? Well, a man wouldn't know it, perhaps, but all the women know that complexion makeup style has changed just as much as clothes have changed. 
Last year's makeup look is just as outmoded as short skirts. I know what you mean. The new complexion is more delicate, isn't it? More Dresden doll-like. Why, of course, Larry. You are observant. And Magic Touch is perfection itself when it comes to having a fragile Dresden doll complexion beauty. Thank you, Barbara, for this time and for this interview. And ladies, may I suggest that if you want to have the loveliest-looking complexion you ever dreamed of having, try Magic Touch, Campana's new cream makeup. The new magic ingredient in Magic Touch makes it different, easier to blend, smoother for the skin, more complexion perfection for hour after hour. Magic Touch is only $1 for the large compact. The special introductory compact, only 39 cents. You'll never know how pretty you can be until you try Magic Touch. Riders are hurrying down the aisles to their seats. The lights are dimmed, and here's the second act of The Mind Reader. Hey, Joe, where are you? Here, Al, my tent. Oh, oh I didn't see you. Hey, there's a dame wandering around the midway looking for you. Yeah, well, don't send her in here. I'm too tired for any private readings this afternoon. Eight shows a day is enough for any man to work. This is no private reading, brother. This is strictly upper crust. Yeah. Got a fur piece around her neck worth the price of a main tent. Well, send her in, will you, Al? Okay. Some guys get all the luck. I should have been a mind reader. Hey, lady. Uh, Professor Zorro's in here. Hello, Joe. Hello, Lynn. Here, pull up a barrel and sit down. Oh, wait a minute. Let me dust it off a bit. There. I came to apologize to you for last night. Forget it. I hope that you'll forget it. All of it. All of it? Yes. Even forget that you're in a jam and need help? Is that what you mean? I, I only mean that I made a mistake in ever talking to you. Oh? How do you figure that? Well, this this whole thing was a product of my imagination. I'm sorry if I've caused you any trouble or embarrassment, and I do appreciate what you tried to do, but please consider the incident closed. So Richter's intimidated you. Don't be silly. Or is it that you'd rather marry a louse than have a scandal in society? You can think what you like, but please consider the question closed. No, it's not that easy, baby. When I get something between my teeth, I usually hang on until it's finished. This is finished. I've just told you that. That doesn't finish it. Not in my book. Don't you understand what I'm saying? I want the whole thing dropped. Now, look, Lynn. I'm not a guy who usually sticks his nose in where it isn't wanted. But in this case, I'm going to do just that. I don't like Mr. Norman Richter. I don't think he'll give you anything but heartache, and I intend to find out what makes him tick. No, Joe, you can't. He might kill you. Oh? Please, Joe, he's insanely jealous. And, and if he thought that you... That I was in love with you? I, I didn't say that. It, it's just that Norman has such an imagination Does that... it take imagination to think that I might be in love with you? Well, of course it does. You, you hardly know me. We hardly know each other. But you're worried that I'll get hurt. Why? Why, because... Because you're my friend, Joe. That's all? Being a good friend is a lot, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Then you'll promise me that you'll... I'll make one promise to you, Lynn. I promise that I'll do my best not to get murdered. Hello, give me the city editor, please. Hello, Stan, this is Joe Madison. Oh, I'm okay. I've been traveling around the country a bit. Look, I want a favor. Have one of the boys go through the paper's morgue and see if you have anything on a Norman Richter. It's spelled R-I-C-K-T-E-R, Richter. That's right. 
Yeah, I'll drop around a day or so for anything you've got. Hello, police department. Give me Lieutenant Coombs, please. Hello, Coombs. This is Joe Madison. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, still with the carny. Read your mind? <laughs> I don't say those words. Look, Coombs, i got a favor to ask. See if you have a file on Norman Richter, spelled R-I-C-K-T-E-R. Yes, I know it may be an alias, but see if you have anything under that name first. What's in it? Why, I'll bring you a big black cigar. Hey, Joe, what's been eating you lately? You've been missing cues right and left this week. Missed two of them tonight. Yeah, I know, I know. It gives a carnival a bad name when you flop the mind reading. Makes the suckers think that everything is phony. Yeah, I know I've been muffing the act, Al, but after tomorrow, everything will be okay. Or there won't be any act. You understand, kid, I'm only saying these things to be wrong. Good. Sure, I know, Al, and I appreciate it. But, as I say, after tomorrow, everything's going to be okay. I hope. Yeah, good. Uh, you're looking tired, Joe. There's not enough suckers out there to crowd a cane pitch. Let's knock off the last show and you go hit the hay. Yeah, I think I will, Al. I'll do that right now. My rooming house was near the lot where our tents were pitched, and it was one of the less fashionable suburbs of Boston. At midnight, the streets looked pretty grim. Refuse littered the deserted sidewalks, and the tired buildings leaned against each other and stared down at me with sightless windows. My nerves were on edge. I began to hear things. I heard footsteps following me. But when I stopped, so did the steps. And when I started up again, so did my pursuer. It was four blocks from my rooming house. Four agonizing blocks. Fear cut through to my muscles, and I knew that it would be physically impossible for me to walk the remaining distance with my back toward those footsteps. I stopped and swung around to face them. Halfway down the block, I saw a muffled figure. I shouted to it. You there! What do you want? Why are you following me? There was no answer. But suddenly I saw a brief glitter of polished metal, and then I heard the shots. I dropped behind a flight of stone stairs and listened to the sound of my own gasping breath. I couldn't believe it, but I wasn't touched. I pulled myself together and ran the rest of the way home. I took the stairs two at a time, and then, with a gasp of relief, shut and locked the door. I was safe. But as I leaned against the door, trying to catch my breath, I noticed a strange thing. The light in my room was burning. I turned around slowly and saw that the single battered chair by the foot of my bed was occupied. Good evening. Miss Mason. I've been waiting for you, Professor Zorro. Sit down. And the curtain comes down the second act of tonight's play in the little theater on Times Square. Smoking downstairs from the outer lobby only, please. Smoking downstairs. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it looks to me as if an important announcement was coming on deck. For here is Larry Keating. Ladies... What is important these wintry days is keeping your pretty hands free of dryness and chapping. 
And what is better for assuring soft, smooth skin than famous, dependable Italian balm? My goodness, but it's nice to have Italian balm again after its absence during the war years. My husband has always been so complimentary about my hands, and I take a good deal of pride myself in keeping them as pretty as possible. It's so easy with Italian balm. Somehow there's just nothing that seems to keep my skin so smooth, so attractive. Yes, ladies, rich, dependable Italian balm is back again with all of its original ingredients, all of its original goodness. Same pre-war quality, same pre-war quantity, same pre-war price. Get reacquainted with this famous lotion. Buy a bottle tomorrow. See for yourself why so many women say Italian balm has no equal in the wintertime. Writers are all in their seats, ready for the last act, and there goes the curtain. <sighs> Miss Mason, I appreciate your feelings, but you must pull yourself together. I... It's a weird story, but something can be done about it. However, you must cooperate fully with me. I'll, I'll try, prof... Mr. Madison. Now, I've told you the 75 principal questions asked by people in my act. It's imperative for our purposes that you learn them tonight. Now, will you write them down, this time by number? Ready? Mr. Madison, I'm afraid. Of Norman Richter? Leave him to me. Now, ready? Number one. Will I marry the man I love? Number one. Will I marry the man I love? Number two. Should I change my job? Two. Should I change my job? Number three. Will the future bring me happiness? Number three. Will the future bring me happiness? spreading over the eastern rim of the Boston sky, and I was repeating for the hundredth time. Question number 31. 31. 31. Will my boy return home? Number 58. 58. Will my family give me a decent burial? Number two. Number two. Should I change my job? Good. Now, I'll repeat once again. The customer must write down his question on paper. The assistant looks at the paper and informs me of the subject number by the manner in which he repeats the sentence, Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? Each word in that sentence is numbered from one to ten. The assistant indicates the question's catalog number by pausing slightly after the correct words in the sentence. By pausing slightly after the correct words in the sentence. Right. Thus, if the question was, Will my family give me a decent burial? which is question number 58. The assistant would pause after the fifth and eighth words, like this. Will you please tell this lady what she is thinking? Will you please tell this lady what she... Mr. Madison, I'll never be able to go through with you this. You must, Miss Mason. You must be ready by this afternoon. Now, once again... I mean, I didn't expect you here. It's all right, Lynn. I brought him. May I come in? 
Joe, please. Lynn, tell me if you love Norman Richter. Oh, Joe, I... You do wonder if he loves you for yourself, don't you? Why didn't you test him by telling him who you really are? You know? Yes, I know. Were you afraid to tell him? Maybe that was it. Oh, Joe, here he comes. Be careful. Don't worry about me. Lynn, dear, I wondered where... What's he doing here? What's the matter, Richter? Afraid of me? Don't be ridiculous of a fake mind reader. Miss Mason, will you... A fake? Me? Suppose I give you a demonstration, Richter. Do you dare face one? What on earth are you talking about? Yes, Mr. Richter, why don't you? Thank you, Miss Mason. Now, if you'll all stand over there. I'll do no such thing. I dare you. Why, you... All right, go ahead. Good. Now, let's see, uh... Uh, well, Miss Mason, would you act as my assistant? Very well. Good, thank you. Now, hand Mr. Richter a pencil and paper. What for? Because you're going to write down your questions and show them to Miss Mason so that there can be no denials when I answer them correctly. Go on. Write. Very well. Now, please hand the paper to Miss Mason. Will you please tell this gentleman what he's thinking? Tell and what? Fourth and seventh words, number 47. You're wondering when you'll travel. It's a trick. You're finding Boston an increasingly unpleasant city and would like to get away from it. Many of your plans are about to blow up and you're planning a quick exit. Or should I say, escape? Norman, is that true? He wrote here on the paper asking about travel. I wrote that, but he made up the rest. It's ridiculous. You're still not convinced? Let's try once more. Go on, Richter, if you dare. Ah, now, pass it to Miss Mason, please. Will you please tell this gentleman what he is thinking? Number 28. He wonders if you'll find happiness in marriage. Am I correct? It's some rotten trick, or I refuse to submit any further You're to You're wondering about happiness in marriage, but happiness to you means money. You're wondering if Lynn is really rich. What the devil are you? And now you're remembering the other women you married for money. The women you blackmailed. Lynn, don't listen to him. Yes, she'll listen, and so will you. Listen to the roll call of your victims. Maud Rinner, Miami, 1936. Mrs. Mary Hubbard, San Francisco, 1940. Patricia Collins, Manhattan, 1943. No, oh no. What kind of a freak are you that you can read men's minds? Most of it is plain old-fashioned gumshoe work. Like catching you for attempted murder. You're insane. Last night a bullet buried itself in a wall three inches away from my head. This morning, I entered your hotel room and found a gun. Ballistics tell me the two of them match. Joe, look out! No use running, Richard. <clears throat> I couldn't resist that one, even if the cops are waiting outside. Oh, Joe. Joe. Ah, now everything's all right, baby. Get up, Richter. Mr. Madison, before you turn him over to the police, I think Richter should know that the girl he's been making love to isn't rich at all. What do you mean? Lynn Brooks grew up in the West, but last year she inherited the Brooks fortune from her aunt on the proviso that she spend a year in Boston and see if she didn't like it. But she hated the social duties involved, and so she traded places with her secretary. You? You mean that... You've been making love to the secretary. Miss Mason there is the real heiress. From the first she was afraid of you and what you might do as a fortune hunter, and she finally came to me for help. Yes, Richter, you've had quite a career, but this is your masterpiece... You've swindled yourself. Hey, 
carnivals were meant for night, darling. For sweethearts like you and me. The lights make it a fairyland. It is a fairyland. Hurry, 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 hurry. The great professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Are you troubled? You got problems? He helps you overcome your troubles. He solves your problems. Professor Zorro knows you better than you know yourself. Health, security, love. You got problems? Problems? No. He's a phony, but he can solve them for you. He's not a phony. How did you know? Why, darling, I'm a mind reader. starts writing stories about Wild West Desperados. You'll enjoy it, so be sure to join us same time, same stations, next week. Meanwhile, ladies, acquire a touch of magic with Magic Touch. Out of the theater and into the street. Here's your cab, Mr. First Matter. Thank you. Good night. Campana's first night of program, starring Olin Soule and Barbara Luddy, is a copyrighted radio feature. Tonight's play was pure fiction and did not refer to real people or actual events. Play safe. Never scratch an irritated skin. It can cause serious infection. Use DDD Prescription, a cooling, soothing liquid that brings almost instant relief from the irritating discomfort caused by eczema rash hives. DDD is a doctor's formula... Proved in use for over 50 years. Trial bottle, 35 cents. The First Nighter program came to you over CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. The First Nighter program was a long-running radio anthology comedy-drama series broadcast from 1930 to 1953. The host was Mr. First Nighter, played by Charles Hughes, McDonald Carey, Brett Morrison, Marvin Miller, Don Briggs, and Rye Billsbury, who was later known as Michael Ray. The show's opening recreated the aural atmosphere of a Broadway opening. Before each week's drama began, Mr. First Nighter was first heard walking on Broadway, emerging from the noise of people and street traffic into the crowded lobby of the Little Theater off of Times Square, and then taking his seat in the third row center where he gave the whispered introduction. The house lights have dimmed and the curtain is about to go up on tonight's production. 
Romantic comedies were the specialty of the series, and the principal roles were played by the teams of Don Amici and June Meredith, Amici and Betty Lou Gerson, Les Tremaine and Barbara Luddy, and finally by Olin Sule and Barbara Luddy. Joseph T. Anley produced and directed the series. The announcers were Larry Keating and Vincent Pelletier. Music was provided by Eric Sagerquist, Cesar Petrillo, and Frank Worth. The most popular episode may have been the annual Christmas episode, Little Town of Bethlehem, which was first performed in 1937 and every year afterwards at the request of the listening audience. Performing before a studio audience, the actors wore formal attire with gowns and tuxedo evening clothes and, of course, a top hat. The series ran on three radio networks, NBC, NBC Blue, CBS, and Mutual. The show was hosted by the Campana Company and solely featured commercials for their products. Due largely in part to this exposure, their Italian balm became the best-selling hand lotion in the United States in the 1930s. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.